Praise the Lord. Thank you guys for worshiping with us today. We're so thankful that you're here. And uh, y'all ready to get into the word this morning? Let's do it. Let's do it. Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. This morning we're looking at verses 1 through 16. Chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. And the title of my message is, The Last Will Be First and the First Will Be Last. And this is a fascinating statement, and I'm going to show you why in just a minute. It's written in all three synoptic gospels, but it's written twice, Jesus says it twice, in the gospel of Matthew. So let's, let's read Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. It says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now when he had agreed with the land with the laborers for a denarius, pay, d- denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said to them, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Again, he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did likewise. And about the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing idle and said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, you will receive. So when the evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. And when those came who were hired about the 11th hour, they each received a denarius. But when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more, and they likewise received each a denarius. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowners, saying, These men have worked only one hour. You made them equal to us who have borne the burden in the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I'm not doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to this man the same as to you. It is not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things. Or is your, is your eye evil because I am good? So here it is in verse 16. Look at verse 16. So the last will be first and the first last. For many are called, but few are chosen. So Jesus ends this parable of the workers in the vineyard with this statement in verse 16. So the last will be first and the first will be last. Now, if you go back and look at last week's message and you look at verse 30, take a look at verse 30 in your Bible. Jesus ended the story of the rich young ruler with the exact same phrase. So what does this phrase mean? That's, that's the, the thesis that's the question I want to answer this morning. That's the, uh, the answer I want to give is what does this statement mean that the uh, last will be first and the first will be last? Now, if you define it by using the story of the rich young ruler, Jesus is talking about those who are humble, those who treasure Christ above everything, and those who reject the riches of this world for the riches of Christ. Y'all remember that last week, the rich young ruler? He went away sad because he, he treasured his riches more than he treasured Christ. And he, he went away sad. But this week we're going to see this phrase has a completely different meaning 
and application for our life. So we're going to look at it because Jesus ends both of these stories, both of these accounts with that exact same statement. So with that said, we can apply this statement to both stories. So this week we're looking at the second meaning of the last will be first and the first will be last. So let's take a look at it. Matthew chapter 20 verse 1 says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. So the first thing we see here in this first verse, we have three metaphors. We got to define what the what these metaphors represent. There's three of them. The first one is the landowner. The landowner in the in this parable is God, okay? Then you have the laborers. The laborers that he hires and sends out, that's Christians, that's believers, that's you and I. Okay? And then the vineyard is the world that you and I live in. Okay? It's the, it's the world that we live in. And if you are a Christian, you are a laborer in this world for Jesus. This is our vineyard. Are we working? Are we serving? Are we evangelizing? Are, are, are we, the gifts that God has given us by his Holy Spirit, are we exercising and using our gifts in God's vineyard? That's the question that each of us have to look within and ask and say, Lord, am I using the gift that you've given me? Am, am I exercising my gift? You and I are workers in the vineyard. Our job in the vineyard is to evangelize, to disciple, and to help others follow the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our job on this, in this world, is to help others follow Christ and make disciples and exercise our gifts that the Lord has given us so that we can impact people for eternity. Let's continue, verse 2. Verse 2 says, Now when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into the vineyard. Now a denarius in the first century, that was one day's wage for a worker in the first century. That was the average pay for a worker who worked in the agricultural lands for one day. That was one day's pay. And God agreed to give them a wage, okay, in this parable. God has given you and I a wage for serving him. Did you know that? He's paying you. He's paying you, not monetarily, but he's blessing you. How, what kind of wage has he given you? He's given you complete forgiveness of sin. He's given you eternal life. He's given you a part in his eternal kingdom. That is how God pays us, friends and family. You are saved. You are born again. You are forgiven. You are part of the kingdom of God. That's how he's paying us. That's how he has blessed us. And I'm going to tell you right now, there's nothing this world has to offer compared to serving Christ. Who in this world can forgive sin? No one. Who in this world can come into your heart and give you a new life? No one. There's only one person that can come into your life and do surgery and give you a new heart. And his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is how he has paid us. That is the wages. And he, but the, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Okay? You ever thought about that? We, the, the world is getting paid for its rebellion. 
In that rebellion, uh, the wages of our sin is death. Death is, a, is, is how God is paying this world because of their rebellion. Because of their rebellion. No one has defied the odds. Ten out of ten people die. And the reason people die is because of sin. Because we've all fallen short of God's glory. We've all sinned. But Jesus, his wages is eternal life. And that is beautiful. That is marvelous. That, that I'm going to live forever. That you as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to live forever. There's a little speed bump ahead. A little boop. You know when you hit the speed bump going down the road? And that little speed bump, that little boop, is death. And we're just going to hit it just for a momentary second. And then we're going to step into eternity. And we're going to spend eternity with the Lord. Those are beautiful wages. I'm sorry. Think about the, the greatest millionaire, the richest person on this world. I don't know who that is. I don't keep up with that stuff. But millions, billions, trillions of dollars cannot compare with eternal life. Do you have eternal life? Is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? Have you surrendered your life to him? Have you repented? Have you turned from your sin? Have you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you received him as your Lord and Savior? If you have, brothers and sisters, you've got eternal life. And in that we rejoice. Man, I am filthy rich. I am so rich on the inside, not because of my money, but because of Christ is in me. And that wage is amazing. Let's look at verses 3 through 7 as we get into the, the parable. Verses 3 through 7 says, And when he went out about the third hour, and he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and he said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went. Again, he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing idle and said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day? And he said to them, because they, and they said to him, uh, Because no one has hired us. And he, the, the owner, God, says to them, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right you will receive. Now i got a little diagram to show you to break down this portion of the parable. Okay, in the parable of the vineyard workers, the hours represent a day in the agricultural harvest of the first century, okay? Which for the purposes of this parable, uh, it represents our life, okay? Some people are saved at an early age. Some people in their midlife. Some people don't get saved till the end of their life. What hour Christian are you? Look up there. You, you, just, you, you answer that question. What hour Christian are you? Pastor David, is a, um, he's a sixth hour Christian. I got saved in my early 20s. Some of you guys, you got saved at a very early age. You gave your life to Christ. You put your trust in Jesus. And you're early morning. You're 6 a.m. And some, of you, some people, they don't get saved till later on in life. And you're an 11th hour you're in the 11th hour. You're at 6 p.m. And, I, and by the way, I just put the, these ages up there. I didn't get that from nowhere. I made that up myself. The, the childhood, teenagers, 20s, 30s, I kind of like looked at the human life and said, okay, that, that looks like an even divide amongst those. But what hour, Christian, are you? Here's the cool thing. Whether you just got saved today or you just got saved 50 years ago, 
we are equal before the eyes of the Lord. You experience the same amount of grace that I've experienced, that the newborn, the, the, the child at six years old experiences when they put their trust in Jesus. It's pretty cool. You know, and then for the purposes of the parable, you know, you and I going into the vineyard is doing ministry in this life. Question for you, I got to ask, what, what are you doing in the vineyard? What are you doing in the vineyard? What, where are you serving in the vineyard today? You, Christian, are living in God's vineyard, in God's world. Psalms chapter 24, verse 1 says, the earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof, and all those who dwell in it. It all belongs to him. You are in the vineyard. What are you doing for the kingdom? Who are you reaching out to in your neighborhood? Who are you helping? Who are you encouraging? Who, how are you exercising your gift? Maybe musical or outreach or, or some other ministry. How are you exercising your gift in the vineyard? Or or better yet, maybe you're like, I, I don't know if I am. Then ask the Lord to show you. Say, God, how do you want me to work? How do you, what do you want me to do in this life to serve you, to bring people closer to you, to help the local church, to help people come to know the Lord, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? What are you doing in the vineyard? Friends and family, you're in the vineyard now, here in this life. Let's get to work. Amen? Let's get to work. Let's continue. Verse, I believe we're at verse 8. So then, so when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, Call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. Okay, so here in verse 8, Jesus is talking about a future day, a future day where, he will, where you and I will stand before him. We will stand before the King of Kings. You have an appointment one day. Every single person in here is going to stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's not a judgment of, for salvation. Your salvation was judged at the cross. Your salvation was completely purchased. You're completely forgiven. But we're all going to stand before what we call the Bema Seat. The Bema Seat. What is the Bema Seat? The Bema Seat is based on 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. We're listening to what it says. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the good things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Again, this standing before the Lord, this Bema Seat, it is an examination of our faithfulness to God. That's what it is. It's an examination of our faithfulness to God. Did you work well in the vineyard? God's like, okay, you got saved. You've, you've given your life to Christ. And now the Holy Spirit is going to give you gifts. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't give all the same gifts to all people. He gives each people throughout the gift different gifts to build up the body and to outreach. And God is just going to say, did you use that gift I gave you? Are you operating in your gift? What gift has the Holy Spirit given to you? That's something that I can't answer for you. You know, that's something that you have to pray. You have to seek the Lord and say, Lord, what is my gift? And then pursue that gift. You say, well, Pastor David, I, don't, I just don't know. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what my gift is. I don't know what my calling is. 
Let me tell you, if if you struggle in the area, one of the things I would encourage you to do is ask a close friend, a close brother and sister in Christ who knows you well. And a lot of times our brothers and sisters in Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ, excuse me, can identify the gift that we have sometimes even before we do because they'll see it operating in your life because it's not of you. It's of the Holy Spirit. So we need to operate in our gift. Were you faithful? Were you obedient? Did you take advantage of every opportunity that you had to serve? And what does God have prepared for you in the future? We need to work and operate in our gifts. One day we're going to stand before him. And it's coming. And it's coming lightning fast. It's coming very soon. Verse 9. Verse 9 says, And when those came who were hired about the 11th hour, these are the people late in life, they each received a denarius. But when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more. These people that have been serving all their life, they likewise received a denarius. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, these last men have worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden of, and the heat of the day. Back there at verse 11, it says, uh, they complained against the landowner. These people that are complaining against the landowner, complaining against God for the purposes of the parable, in verse 11, these are believers who got saved early in life. And they were upset that those who got saved later in life are getting the same reward. So in a sense, this parable is a warning and a lesson to people who have been serving Christ their entire life. They've been been serving the Lord their entire life, and they see these other people coming to Christ later in life, and what they need to understand is this going to be an equal reward. You know, grace is going to be poured out on them lavishly. They're going to be completely forgiven. They're going to enter into heaven just like you and I. And we should rejoice. We should rejoice in that truth and not be jealous. That just, to me, that makes no, no sense at all. Uh, that makes, let's continue, verse 13. He says, but he answered one of them and said, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a Daenerys? So this is, this is God, this is the landowner speaking to, to the servants, to those who are hired. And, and God says, I'm not doing you no wrong. I'm not doing you no wrong. That was our agreement. The true issue here in this parable with these people that are being corrected is, is spiritual pride. It's spiritual pride. You know, we think we are better than others. We think we are more deserving than others. We want to stand on our spiritual pedestals and look down at everybody else. And that is sinful. That is wrong. You know, in our sinful pride, and it can creep into the believer's life, we like to say, God, I deserve this. God, this is what I deserve. This is what rightly belongs to me. I deserve it because of the life I've lived. Friend, if God gave us what we deserve, we would be in hell. 
Think about the most vile, wicked, evil, convicted felon on death row that you know of. Think about his or her heinous crime that they committed. I'm sure we've all got somebody in our mind. In the eternal courtroom of God, you and I are just as guilty. I am guilty. You are guilty. The mailman's guilty. We are all guilty before a just and holy and righteous God. But he showed his grace. But grace, but grace came into our life. Grace came into your life. Grace's name is Jesus. Mercy came into our life. Mercy's name is Jesus. Forgiveness came into our life. Forgiveness' name is Jesus. Jesus Christ came into our lives and has given us new life. And he offers that to all people, to everyone. From the womb, when a baby is first born, to the nursing home on the oxygen tank. Jesus came to save them all. And all they have to do is put their trust in Christ. Say, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for my rebellion. Please forgive me. I put my trust in you, Lord Jesus. Please come into my life. Please save me. And when you do that, old enough to gibber, talk at three or four years old, five or six years old, I don't know the age, somewhere in there, to 95, Christ will come into your life and he will give you the same measure of grace that he gives to all people who put their trust in Christ. And in that, we should rejoice. We, we should rejoice. Let's look at verse 14. Verse 14 and 15. He says, take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. It is not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things. Or is your eye evil because I am good? So here there's a little, there's a little chastising here. God is like, you zip it. You close your mouth. I decide the rules. I give the rewards. It's my world not yours. This is where we say, yes, Lord, you're creator. I'm not. You're the one who makes the rules, not me. I just say, uncle, and I surrender to your rules. And then verse 16, verse 16, here's our statement that uh, Jesus said back at chapter 19, verse 30, with the rich young ruler. Now he makes this exact same statement again which is the statement I'm wanting to define in my teaching this morning. Look at verse 16. So the last will be first and the first last. For many are called, but few are chosen. In this parable of the workers in the vineyard, the laborers are believers. They are you and I. And the vineyard is the world that we live in. Some believers have been saved in serving Christ for decades. 
They are the laborers hired early in the morning. Some believers have only been saved and serving for only half of their life. Some even a shorter amount of time. But here's the deal. The reward is the same for all who come to faith in Jesus Christ. Some when they are children, some in midlife, and some at the end of your life. Now, if anybody's wrestling with this, I, I kind of know what you might be thinking. You're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, stop, 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 Pastor Danny. You mean to tell me if I've been a Christian for 50 years, I've been teaching Sunday school, I've been tithing, I've been evangelizing, I've been going on every missions trip, I take people to church, I do everything that the, that the local church asks me to do, I do all those things for the Lord, and I've been doing it for 50 plus years, but a 90-year-old convict, convicted felon, gets saved on his deathbed after living a life of sin and rebellion, he's going to die and experience the same reward that I experience? Yep, you got it. That is the point of this parable. That is the exact point of what Jesus is saying here in this parable. He's saying the reward is the same, and we rejoice. So like somebody that's been serving the Lord for 50 years and, they, and, and they're witnessing to someone on their deathbed, yes, they can say, friend, if you will trust in Christ, you will experience the filling of the Holy Spirit. You will experience his amazing grace. You will experience his power and glory for whatever amount of time you do have on this, here on this earth. Why? Because that is God's grace. And look at the end of verse 16. At the end of verse 16 just makes a pretty cool statement here. Jesus said in this parable, for many are called, but few are chosen. I, I was listening to a well-known preacher this week, he was saying he did not believe in deathbed or end-of-life conversions. He could not reconcile end-of-life conversion with God's sovereignty. Why would God wait till the end of someone's life to save them? Oh, that's just a Hail Mary. Someone trying to escape hell. My response to that pastor, he does not understand grace. He does not understand grace. The invitation is for whosoever. Whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord. From the womb to the nursing home, whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God will forgive you if you will turn from your sin and trust in Christ. And this is very important. Grace is not measured out differently to each of us, okay? Grace is not measured out to each of us differently. God lavishes his grace on all who put their trust in the Lord. He gives them a new heart. So whether you have served Christ all your life or you got saved five minutes ago, God is good and God displays his grace to all of us. Listen to what God has done for each of us. This comes from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. There we go. And I chose the ESV version because this word lavish. 
The ESV uses this word lavish, and when I read it, I just, I just fell in love with this word lavish, and you'll see why in a minute. I got a little something, a little illustration I want to give. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 through 9, from the womb to the 90-year-old to everyone in between, this is what God offers in Christ. It says, in him we have redemption. That word redemption, it means to buy back. He's redeemed you and I. He's purchased you and I out of uh, Satan's slave market of sin. He purchased us out, broke the chains that held us down, and purchased us by the precious blood of Christ. It says right there, next part, through his blood, through his blood, this, this cleansing, this grace that we experience, it comes through the precious soul-cleansing blood shed at Calvary. And you ready for this? The crimson flow came, but it makes you and I white as snow. It makes you and I white as snow on the inside. It cleanses all sin. Then the, it says, the next phrase in Ephesians 1, 7, and the forgiveness of our trespasses. Think about your most vile, evil sin. Maybe the, the one sin in your life that this plagued your mind that you struggled with. Think about it. I got mine in my mind. It's washed away. You're forgiven. It's under the blood. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because we are completely forgiven in Christ. The forgiveness of our trespasses. That is man's greatest need. It's not more money. It's not a better life. It's how do we find forgiveness of sin? And Christianity answers that question. It answers the question, what do we do with our greatest problem, sin? And it's we go to the cross and we find forgiveness of sin. It's a beautiful message. And I, I could, and I'm gonna probably talk about it every single Sunday from now till the rapture. This beautiful message of the gospel. My goal in my teaching, uh, expository teaching, verse by verse teaching through the Bible, is I study a passage, I read a passage, I explain a passage, but I want to interweave the gospel in every single passage. Why? Because Christ is in every single passage. And then he says there, here it is, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. I love that phrase. The ESV says, he lavished his grace upon us. That word lavish, it means to abound, poured out in abundance, to give more than what we need. Now, so I was thinking about this. I was thinking about my kids, Emily and Daniel. Back when they were little kids, when they were three, four, or five years old, they used to go outside and they would play all day. They would get real dirty. And when little kids, you know, this high, knee high, get dirty, what also comes with that dirt? A smell. A smell. They don't smell very good. So you bring them in the house and you, you throw them in the tub. So the kids would come in from outside, we'd throw them in the tub, and we, we had this stuff, this bubble bath. We had this bubble bath mixture. And I would just put them in the bathtub and I would just squirt the bubble bath. And just, I would goose it. And it would get to a point where I couldn't see Emily and Daniel no more because they were covered over in bubbles, blowing bubbles. God has done the same thing with you and I, except it's not bubbles, it's, it's grace. He's lavished his grace upon us 
in our dirt and in our sin. He's washed us and made us clean. And he's given us lavish. The, the word, uh, the Greek word here, if you look it up on Blue Letter Bible, it means to give more than what is needed. And that's what God does for sinners. He gives them more than what is needed through grace. That's what he's done for us. And that's what he offers all people. And then it says, uh, the end of verse 9, actually the end of verse 8, in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. What is God's will for your life? Okay? There's a, there's a special will and there's a general will. The general will is that you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you experience this amazing grace. That is God's will. That is God's plan. That you know and experience this forgiveness that we're talking about this morning. It is his will, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purposes which are set forth in Christ. What, what, are the, what was the purpose of Christ? He came to seek and save that which was lost. He came to make a way for you and I to be in a right relationship. He came so that we could be forgiven of our sins. He could could live in our hearts by his Holy Spirit. And that we would grow in sanctification. We would grow in discipleship. That is the will of God. Okay? That that is the, the will of God for all people. Now, there are special wills. There are special things he wants us to do in this life. Some people he has this career path. Some people he has this career path. And we have to pray about those things. We have to seek the Lord and ask him. But his will, the big will, the big one, is that people come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And whether you do it at five years old or 95 years old, you're going to experience the same amount of grace. Amen? Amen. So, back to our phrase this phrase is found in Matthew chapter 19, verse 30, and Matthew chapter 20, verse 16. And that phrase is, the first will be last, and the last first. What does this phrase mean? Well, it has two definitions. The first definition comes from last Sunday's message, the rich young ruler. And this phrase means, those who treasure Christ, those who live humbly, and those who place Christ first. You know, This is for those who dethrone themselves and put Christ on the throne of their life. And they seek first the kingdom of God. And they live humbly knowing that Jesus Christ is Lord of their life. And they're thankful for every day and every moment that he gives them. And these are people that they're just consumed with placing Christ first. With living for him. And this is all based on what we looked at last week of the rich young ruler, you know, just keep this in mind. I'm keeping it in mind. All my money, all my wealth, everything that I have, there's not a U-Haul that goes to heaven, okay? It's all going to get left here. It's all going to get left here. Everything's going to be pulled out of my cold, dead hands. And the only thing that will step into eternity is my soul. The only thing that will step into eternity on your behalf is your soul. Make sure Christ is 
first. The second definition of this phrase, the first will be last and the last will be first, it comes from the parable that you and I just studied. And that is this, the eternal reward is the same for all, no matter when you come to faith in Jesus. You can experience God's amazing grace. I just said it about five times, I'm going to say it six times, from birth to old age, you can experience God's grace. And the first will be last and the last will be first. God doesn't have these different measuring scales of grace. You know, in a way, grace is not fair in the eyes of humans. You know, we live in a, a system that's based on merit and based on reward. Well, this person should get more than this person. God doesn't operate that way. God doesn't operate that way at all. God's, God's economy of grace, according to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 through 9, it is lavished on all who put their trust in Christ. I've had the awesome opportunity of leading a child to Christ, and I praise the Lord for that opportunity. But I've also had the opportunity to pray with someone who was very close to death at the hospital. And, and, and here's the thing. They'll, I've had, do I really have eternal life? Are you trusting in Christ? Yes. Have you received him as your Lord and Savior? Yes. Well, brother, sister, you have eternal life. You know, there's, there's three words that the New Testament uses to describe salvation, just by way of review. And, and the first one is three words, receive, believe, repent, okay? The word receive, Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 3, you must be what? Born again. You have to re if you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. You have to invite him to come into your life and, and come into your life and be your Lord and Savior. So that's one word that the New Testament uses to describe salvation. The second word is repent. That word repent means to turn from the world, to turn from sin, to turn from lawless deeds. Doesn't mean you're perfect, but it means you have a heart attitude change towards sin. You're no longer pursuing it, but you're running away from it, and you're moving away from it through discipleship, through accountability, through, through, through pursuing him. And then the third word is, is believe, but I, I like that word believe. You could interchange it with, with trust. You could interchange it with love. So we, we believe, we trust, and we love the Lord Jesus Christ. And we love him with all of our heart. If you've done that, you have experienced God's grace that is offered to all people. And one day, one day we're all going to stand before him. Some are going through the gates first. Some are going through the gates last. But here's the important thing. For my, my case anyway, I'm going through the gate. <laughs> I'm going through the gate. You know, some people talk about, you know, I'm just a, a door sweeper at the, the doors of heaven. Some people say, well, I might be doing this. To me, as long as I'm in heaven, I'm happy. As long as I'm in the presence of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and I have eternal life, I will be blessed and I will be thankful. That is the message of the gospel, that Christ came into this world to save sinners. And there's no one, nobody, no person, no matter how old, how wretched, how vile, 
they are that is beyond redemption, this beyond the amazing grace of God. So friends and family, as we, as we leave here today, let's look at the eye, let's look at the world, let's look at our friends, let's look at our neighbors, let's look at our coworkers through the eyes of grace. I look at you as people that Jesus loves, that people that Jesus died for, that people that Jesus cares for. And, and God tells me as a pastor, David, feed my sheep. That's my responsibility, is to get up here on Sunday morning and just open the word of God and feed the sheep and let you guys grow and go forth and do great things for the Lord. That is my heart, that is my passion, that you grow and that you understand this amazing grace. Let us view all people like that. People that need to turn from their sin, put their trust in Christ, and serve God with all their heart. Amen? <laughs> Let's pray before the lights go out. <laughs> yeah. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for uh, grace. And Father, thank you for this uh, study this morning. When the last will be first and the first will be last. Lord, help us to take these, this, this phrase to heart this morning as you've given to us in your word. Help us to understand it's, uh, it's those who treasure Christ. It's those who live humbly. And it's those who place Christ first. And Lord, I pray for each person here that their heart will be, will be there. That they will treasure you above everything. They will live humbly and that they will place you first in life. And Father, help us to understand this phrase, that grace is available to all. It's available to all people. If they'll turn and put their trust in you. So Lord, we love you and we praise you. Thank you for grace. Thank you that you're an awesome God and you work mightily in our lives. Help us to go out understanding that the first will be last and the last will be first. First in Jesus' awesome name I pray. Amen.